Alright guys, so full transparency with you. Today is somewhat of a random episode. And I say that because I actually didn't collect. I probably have questions in my inbox. I always have questions in my inbox. Um, and I could probably go into my email and, and Instagram DM and, and pull some things up. But I had some like, I actually did have three random questions that sparked up just topics that I wanted to cover. So today's probably going to be a quicker one. But it's going to be more detailed, and there's three things I want to talk about. And the first one is being evidence-based um, as a coach or a practitioner. Um, the second one is inflammation, like going in depth on what is inflammation, what matters about it, does it matter? Excuse me, does it matter? What's the hype about? Do you even need to worry about it? Um, and obviously, what causes it? And then cardio. You know, I had a question of like, what should I be doing realistically if my goal is, you know. I'm going to say fat loss and hypertrophy because most people want to maintain strength and muscle at the bare minimum while they uh, burn fat or maintain their leanness, whatever we want to, however we want to call it. Um, And the question was like, should I be doing four days of lifting, two days of cardio? Should I do five days of lifting, two days of cardio sprinkled in? Should I do two a days? Should I do morning cardio and PM lifting? Three and three, just harder days, uh, just one session each day, strength and cardio, three and three. There's so many different ways to do it and what is most optimal for you. So I'm going to kind of go into those three topics and just just kind of – I mean I, I was about to say brush the surface, but we'll see if I uh, – how in-depth I really go. But the first one I want to talk about is evidence-based. You know, I had a question a while ago about being science-based, not evidence-based, but I, I, I want to – I personally believe that science-based versus evidence-based, it's very, very similar. It's pretty much the same thing. We're talking about using science and research and the literature to guide our practice as a coach. I had a question of, are you science-based? Like they were literally asking about my coaching and they asked me if I was science-based. And I was kind of like, hmm, I've never been asked that when someone's inquiring about coaching with me. Um, so I said, yes, I absolutely am science-based. I would consider it evidence-based because a lot of science is – you know, science goes in multiple ways, and, and there's never one conclusive answer. If you even look at studies or research, it's usually like we believe this came from the study, but X, Y, Z variables were unaccounted for or weren't – how do I say this? Weren't solid or didn't have uh, good grounding or we need to reconsider these things when doing the study. Um, some people dropped off, like whatever it may be. There's always something wrong with every study, and like you'll notice that as you go along as a coach – or somebody who is just diving into all this and wanting to learn more, the more and more you look at research, the more and more you'll find plenty of variables that probably could have been controlled for better. Um, and, and the reality is if we look at all science and studies, it's almost impossible to control every single variable of the study. It, it's so – I mean there's so many things that could go on. There's People can drop off. There's adherence issues. There's um, – I mean everything. There's funding that goes into it that can actually be misleading and you never really know until you really dive into who's actually funding the studies, which a lot of people don't even – a lot of people fail to look at those things. So, And I think that's one of the principles of being uh, evidence-based is actually looking at studies and going, OK, this study makes sense. This is awesome. I understand it. But let me su- see who actually funded the study because depending on who funded the study, that might sway the way I believe this or sway the way I think about these studies. Um, so – that's really huge, right? So what I see, and this is kind of what I want to go into, is like what I see a lot of people do is they kind of go into one of two camps. Like they're either 
overly science-based, they're too science-based, or they're too experience-based, where they don't even read the research. They're not looking for literature. They're not diving into um, whether it's, you know, I'll link these in the description, but there's uh, my favorite research review right now is Mass by Eric Helms, Dr. Mike Zordos, and Greg Knuckles. I think it's a great resource. Uh, but I mean, looking at stuff like that, um, 3DMJ Vault, there is obviously Alan Aragon's research review, which he's going through a lot of things in the public industry right now. So I'm not going to get into that, but um, he has a great research review and he's had that for years. Um, James Krieger with Weightology, he's always done a research review that's fantastic. I believe Brett Contreras has a research review. So these are all things, they're not blogs, they're research reviews. And what that means is these are guys that are actually in the studies, right? They're doing stuff with Brad Schoenfeld, with, um, oh my God, what is that? Uh, I want to say he's Norwegian. I'm going to butcher his name anyway, so I'm not going to go into it. But he's like the leading protein research, researcher. Um, Jeff Nippard interviewed him a few times on his channel, which was really good. But they go into the science. They go into the labs. They actually do the studies with these people, and they take the studies, and they actually break it down in layman terms for you. So when you go read a mass research review – they're taking out the little terms. They're taking out the vocabulary that is not all of it, but a lot of it that is very hard to understand. When you look at a strict re like research paper, like what actually comes from the lab, you actually have to be extremely well educated with a university background to truly understand what's going on in there, um, rather than just reading the abstract and and guessing what you think the result is. So these guys take these studies and they actually break it down for you. So. Um, going back to what I was saying, like people who believe in just experience, they're not going out of their way to research these things. They're not going out of their way to study these things every single week to make sure that they're actually on top of the literature. They're more focused on how they were taught back in the day, how their coaches did it, right? How their mentors did it, how the classic guys did it, how a lot of these old, old strength coaches, which actually, which is funny about them is a lot of these old strength coaches who are experience-based, there's studies coming out now that are proving them right. But the problem with that is, is if you're never looking at the research and you're only going off experience of what you have seen or what have what old strength coaches have seen, you're not going to have the full picture and you're not going to understand why it's working. And that's the most important thing about evidence-based practitioners is we take this evidence and we use our coaching experience in order to apply that evidence or that – like – because if I'm just going off experience and I'm just doing this because Pavel, the Russian kettlebell king, this is what he did and he was jacked and strong. So I'm just going to do it too. Well, little do you know is that Pavel actually knows exactly why that's working. So if I understood why it's working because I did the research with the science and the evidence to prove why it's working, I can now better apply that method to my clients because – my client might not be able to adhere to it the way Pavel did, but if I use the principle behind why what Pavel was doing worked, I can take that principle, create a different method, and make sure that my client can actually adhere to it. So a good example of this is, you know, there's the saying, um, I don't want to butcher this. I'm going to look at it right now because I butcher things. So... Here we go. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods change often. Principles never do. If you can live by that, if you can coach by that saying, I think you're going to be doing a lot better because it, it, it makes complete sense, right? Methods are many. Principles are few. So what does that mean? Method it, Methods are experience. Methods are application. Um, principles 
are the foundation behind what works. Science is principles. Evidence-based stuff is principles. Those are principles. Energy balance. You need to create a deficit. That is a principle. How I create that, that calorie deficit for you to lose weight, whether we're doing the Matador study, doing alternating weekly intakes, whether we're doing five days in a deficit, two days in a surplus, whether we're doing six days in one day, whether we're doing seven straight days, whether we're doing intermittent fasting, those are all methods. Those are methods in order for me to apply the principle. That's why methods are many, principles are few. The principle is simple. It's one fucking thing. Energy balance. <laughs> That's the key. Caloric intake. Methods, there's a million ways to do it. And the second part of that saying, methods change often, principles never do. I have worked with hundreds and hundreds of people. The method in which I get them to lose weight changes for every single person in some way, shape, or form. I've had, you know, 100 people do the 5-2 split. Five days in a deficit, two days of a refeed. That's a method. I've had hundreds of people do it, but each one of those individuals use that 5-2 split in a different way because that method was tweaked to fit their lifestyle. That's the point behind this. Evidence-based versus experience. You have to understand that experience will give you those methods, but if you're only experience-based, if you're in this experience-based camp, usually you're dogmatic or you're biased to one theory, and that makes you a horrible coach because I'm sitting here going, all right, here's the best way to lose weight. You do five days in a deficit, Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's the weekend, you get a surplus, you get that refeed, it gives you that diet break, uh, hormonal recharge. This is how we do it. You're going to eat four meals a day. Each meal is going to have 35 to 40 grams of protein because that's how we know we maximize the muscle protein synthesis response. I want no carbs in breakfast to keep insulin low and keep focus high. I want carbs driven at night because that's going to fuel your performance and recovery and trigger tryptophan in your brain to create more serotonin to help you sleep. Like there's all these principles I'm going off of right now, which is good. And I'm creating this one method. The problem with that method is that might not fit for everybody. What about the person that wants to train in the morning? What about the person who binges when, when you give them refeed so you can't give them two days in a row? What about the person who hates eating four times a day? They only want to eat two to three times a day. What about the person that doesn't want to train every day? What about the person who wants to balance their carbs throughout the day because they love eating oatmeal for breakfast? And it's more important for them to eat that oatmeal to stay consistent for a long period of time. So even though I had this one five two method, I, I can create all these different individualized processes to use the same principle about energy balance as I talked about before. But I can use all these different methods in order to change it depending on the person or the individual I'm working with. And again, this is what evidence-based coaching is. Evidence-based coaching is caring about your clients so you actually educate them. By using this evidence, using this science to educate your client, the individual, or yourself, you're doing the research. You're not just following a plan. If I download a new diet plan from menshealth.com and it tells me to eat this way, eat this many calories, I need to do my research and my due diligence to understand why I'm eating that way. This is how I got into this stuff. I started following shit and it started to work and then I would crash and burn. I would gain the way back. Something would happen. I wouldn't feel good, whatever it may be. And because of that, I started doing research and I started trying to learn why did this work? Why did it not sustain? That was doing myself due diligence so I can understand and become more self-sufficient. And that's what we should be doing as coaches to help our clients be. Our job is to educate our clients about the evidence, get them the result, obviously, but then teach them why it's working so that when they're done with us, they can be more self-sufficient. And I think a lot of coaches go wrong in that way because they want to keep their client forever. It's not the case. It's never going to happen. 
You need to teach your clients so they can go out on their own and they can sustain the result you helped them provide. And you should be happy that you were able to educate them so well that they could stick to things after they are done with you. Even when they don't have that accountability, which is the hardest thing to do. Accountability is the crux of what makes shit happen. But this is what an evidence-based coach does. An evidence-based coach is probably going to start with the words, it depends. Because it depends alludes to there are many fucking ways to do this. Again, principles are few, methods are many. The methods change constantly. A good coach, an evidence-based coach understands this. He goes, okay, well, it depends. Here's what the science says. You know, somebody asked me, hey, should I be doing fasted cardio? Well, it depends. The science says that it might actually allow you to increase fat mobilization, which means that your body might increase its ability to actually use fat for fuel. This can create some kind of metabolic flexibility. It's not a quick fix. It doesn't happen rapidly. But over time, if you are doing some low-intensity activity in the morning, your body might start to reprogram a little bit and understand more better, more better, (laughs) understand better how to use fat lipids stored body fat as a fuel source in order to start your day do basic activities control your neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis throughout the day do go on your walk whatever it may be you might reprogram your body a little bit so yeah it, it could be a good thing that's what the science says now what time do you wake up what time do you have to go to work what are you doing right now are you training in the evening? Are you lifting heavy? Are you sleeping enough? Are you hitting your macros? Because these, these are all principles that are much more important than doing fasted cardio. You know, we can implement fasted cardio whenever, but it's not as important. And we have to adjust your lifestyle. Is it even something you can adhere to? So th- that would be an answer from an evidence-based coach. If so, when someone asks me, should I do fasted cardio? That's what they get. And by the time I've talked to them for 20 minutes on fasted cardio, they're like, okay, you didn't tell me yes or no. What do I do? But they better understand why they need to actually think about it and consider it. And at that point, we decide, okay, is it something you can adhere to? Is metabolic flexibility important to you? Do you actually need to understand or get your body to understand how to use fat for fuel, I should say, right? A good coach, an evidence-based coach is open-minded, never rules anything out because they understand that individualism can shift any type of study. Right? It, it's, it's, the mat, it's the fact. Intermittent fasting works. Yes. But this individual has high cortisol levels, high stress levels, high anxiety levels. Therefore, that study would not apply to them. They're an outlier. They're in a stress state already. Intermittent fasting would actually create more stress, more cortisol, and it would actually stop more fat loss from happening. In fact, probably reverse that fat loss and cause fat accumulation. Therefore, that study is irrelevant to this person. It's not a good fit. A good coach understands that they're open-minded. They see different ways of doing things. They understand that energy balance is the key. And macros is literally probably the best way to dial that in. Like I'm going to confidently say that. If you can dial in your macros and you can track your macros every single day, I can pretty much guarantee you that you're going to see results better because it dials you in. It's precision. Precision is everything. You're drawing a straight line. If you can't be precise, you're going to have a crooked line. Well, if you're trying to lose fat, if you can't be precise, it's going to be tough. Now, the thing with that is if you can't adhere to tracking macros, it doesn't matter. Your line's not going to be straight no matter what the method is. So we have to figure out a different method in order to get you to lose weight, in order for you to control 
your energy balance. Maybe that's when we do intuitive eating, but we in implement intermittent fasting because we know it's easier for you to intuitively eat within your caloric intake if we take out breakfast and you do a little bit of a fast, increase your insulin sensitivity, so on and so forth. I'm open-minded, so I'm looking at a million different ways to get this person to the result. I'm using the science of all these different principles, and then I'm going to create my own methods as a good, experienced coach in order to get them to the end result. It's huge. A good coach believes in the principles and bases their methods off them, and I've been kind of alluding to that this whole time, but the point of that is a good coach is always going to base their methods off the principles. And if you've noticed what I've been saying, I'm not just pulling methods out of my ass. I'm pulling methods out of science, out of evidence. So if I'm going to use intermittent fasting or intuitive eating or if it fits your macros or flexible dieting or paleo or an elimination diet or whatever it may be, if I'm going to use these, these methods, I am going to refer back to the principles behind them. Why do they work? We have to always refer back to the science. So you can't be an experienced or an evidence-based coach. You need to be an evidence-based coach that uses his experience to apply those, those principles, which is – when I say principles, I mean the science, guys. It's huge. An evidence-based coach is constantly researching too. Like we, we always are looking for new ways. I'm constantly entrenched in studies and research and literature and blogs and articles and podcasts and videos because I want to know more ways. I'm doing – I've, I've literally been certified in uh, four different nutrition realms. I've been certified four times from four different people, four different companies on nutrition I believe. That doesn't even count the little week work, uh, weekend workshops, the courses, the books, all these different things I've done. And I've just started, I'm about a month in, of doing another year-long nutritionist course. I'm dedicating another year. My business, in full transparency, guys, my business is already successful. We already have clients coming in. We are helping people around the world, literally. I have CrossFit athletes in Germany. I have athletes in general population in Australia, in Sweden, in Canada. Like we have – it's – we don't need to do more. Actually, I scratched that. We do need to do more. I was going to say we don't need to go study more. We want to go study more. But the reality is and we do want to. But we do need to do it because that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us evidence-based practitioners. That's what makes us good coaches is because we're looking for new methods. Fitness and nutrition is always changing. The way we train our body, the way we do cardio, the way we lift, the way we program design, the way we implement macros or nutrition – all these things are changing constantly. The principles aren't really changing, but the principles are developing and enhancing and new research is coming out behind why it works. And the more and more we can understand why these things work, the human physiology behind all these things that are getting our clients results, the better we can explain to them and the better they can become more self-sufficient down the road and do this on their own. Again, going back to the point, I'm here to educate my clients so they can do better. It's huge. So as an evidence-based coach, it's my job. It's my duty. It's my role to constantly learn and research and educate myself so I can do that better for others. So huge. To cap all this out, like a good evidence-based coach does not ever have one method. And I think you guys have heard me say that or you can kind of understand that by now. I've listed out a million ways to do this. Every person needs a different method. But the principles go behind every single person. No matter what, there's never one way. 
There's always a million ways. And I usually present multiple ways to clients. I won't even do like if I have a client, um, let's say I'm doing a matador study. This is just a good example because it's kind of like a hot topic in the coaching realm right now. The matador study was basically you do one week of caloric deficit, one week at maintenance, or you do two weeks of deficit and one to two weeks at maintenance. It kind of depends on the hormonal balance of the individual. If I have a person who is uh, hormonally has a bad history, like they need a reverse diet or they did a reverse diet with me and we're finally out of it and they want to lose weight and I implement this, I usually won't go two weeks of hard deficit for everybody because unless I think they have resilient hormones because it's just it, – you're pushing – sensitive ground, right? I want to keep those hormones as good as possible, but typically two weeks is totally fine anyway. But the point is, is, um, where was I going with this? Oh, (laughs) there's never one way. And I usually tell the client. So when I implement this with a client, I don't even just send them like an email saying, Hey, check your, uh, nutrition tracker. I've changed this, this, and this, you're going to add this because we put everything in a structured tracker where I can implement things, um, put notes and stuff like that. So my client knows what's going on. But I never do that. I I email them first and say, this is what I'm thinking. I think we should go this route. The reason I think we should go this route is because studies have shown blah, 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 blah. I think for you personally, blah, 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 blah. And the reason it's going to work well, blah, 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 blah. And this is going to be more sustainable because blah, blah, blah. Like a huge email and it's like, let me know your thoughts before we move forward. If I don't feel that they're like, I believe you, I'm convinced, I believe in the method and I'm ready to do this and I can adhere to it, then I won't use that method. I'll go, okay, you know what? There's different ways to do this. Let's talk about this way or this way. What do you think about those? And we'll figure out a method that they can actually adhere to. That's the whole point. That's the, that's how you're going to create sustainability. That's how you're going to create trust. That's how you can be honest. That's how you show you care. You're well-educated. That's huge. So I spent a little bit more time on this evidence-based versus experience and I've been talking a lot about what an evidence-based coach is. You cannot be evidence-based alone because if you're evidence-based alone, if you're science-based alone, if you only use the literature, then every single person you encounter – and this is the problem with a lot of coaches in the industry who are in the labs who don't work with enough people in person, right? Or, for example, um, you know, there's some bodybuilding coaches out there that work with people who are only in the bodybuilding realm, but if they get a general population client – their gen pop clients do not get great results. Their gen pop client uh, – gen pop clients – I don't know why it's so hard to say – don't feel well heard. They don't feel communicated to. They don't feel cared for. And the reason for that is simple, and I'm saying this because I've heard from clients that come to me from the bodybuilding space or the template space. I'm not going to name names, but people who do templates, templated diets, and they come – I've had literally countless people that have came to me from templated diets and it just runs them into the ground because there's an algorithm behind what's creating this diet for them. And there's no coach communicating why things are working, if it's not working, how to adjust, where your hormones are at, where your adherence is at, how is your lifestyle going, where are your stress levels. All these things play a role. If you're only evidence-based, you're like a template. You can provide the numbers and the calculations that should, in theory, according to literature, lead to this result. But when they don't, you don't know how to adjust. You don't know how to help. You don't know how to create a plan that's actually going to be something they can adhere to. You're only using evidence. You're not using experience to take that evidence, to take those principles and create new methods behind how they can work for you. In the same sense, you can't be experience-based only because everybody, you're just coaching off of feel and what you know. And that either does the same exact thing that being only evidence-based does, leading to you only doing one thing. You have good experience with strongman training and intermittent fasting, so everybody should do it. 
right? And then Susie with a torn ACL and two kids at age 50 years old who doesn't give a shit about being stronger, just wants to loosen belly fat and feel more energetic comes to you. Now she's doing intermittent fasting and strongman training. Probably not the best route, but that's all you know because that's what you've experienced. So you only put them down one, one way. Or maybe you do have experience with multiple things and you say, fuck the science, you don't care about it. In that situation, once your client hits a plateau, you're screwed. Your client hits a plateau and you go, oh, it's not working anymore? Um, do more of it? Should we add more strongman training sessions? Create a bigger fasting window to cut food out? And I say it like that because there's a question mark afterwards. <laughs> but the point with that is simple. If you do have multiple ways, you, you only have those, those, that handful of ways in your experience, you're never going to get people past, past a plateau. When a plateau arises, we take the evidence, we take the science, and we go, okay, when someone hits a plateau, it's usually because of X, Y, and Z, which means if it's Z, we can implement X, Y, or Z. If it's X, we can implement X, Y, or Z. And if it's Y, we can implement X, Y, or Z. So now I have three possible symptoms or culprits of why they're getting the symptom of a plateau. And then I have three more ways for each possible culprit to, to alleviate this symptom of being plateaued. Which means I have nine different solutions in my tool belt based on science. Once I figure out which solution is probably going to be best, then I use my experience in order to create a method to get the person to adhere to. That was a mouthful. And there's a lot that goes into being an evidence practitioner. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think science-based and evidence-based gets thrown around quite a bit. And there's a lot of people who are very stubborn and dogmatic about their experience and they just believe that this is the way. Um, and, and I know of – you know, and I'm going to bring up old school bodybuilders again. Um, not anything bad about them but they're a good example because there is a lot of old school bodybuilders that – live in their old set ways and they won't listen to what the science is saying because, well, this worked for me. Well, maybe it did, but maybe why it's working is not what you think it is. So you need to learn, look at the evidence and the science to understand that. So I think everybody who is listening to this, who is a coach or who is looking for a coach or is somebody who is just trying to dramatically change their body, you need to consider the evidence. You need to think about the science. You need to do your research and understand the why behind the what. Why is this shit working for you, right? Again, methods are many, principles are few. Methods often change, principles never do. The science, once it's, it's established, it becomes a principle and it sets the tone for what we do. The methods are what change over the years and from person to person, coach to coach. So you got to consider these things. This is a weird transition to go into inflammation. <laughs> the next thing I want to talk about is inflammation. So like I said, guys, this is a random podcast. I hope you guys like me going on these rants. Most people do actually. It's actually kind of funny. So inflammation, I talked about inflammation in my uh, – this question came out of the Boom Boom Elite, which I'm going to give a sh quick shout-out to you guys. If um, – phone's going crazy. Sorry. Going to give a shout out to them guys because they're crushing it. The programs are very evidence-based, wink, wink, um, but they are. Like everything I put in there is extremely evidence-based and then I am in there in the group with my experience helping people tailor to it, 
them, uh, tailor the program to them. So guys, we have a ton of stuff going in there. I just did a three-part nutrition series where I go in-depth on the nutrition hierarchy calories, macros, micros, meal sup, meal timing, supplements, all that stuff. I go in depth on that for them. Um, hour long seminars, each webinars, um, uploaded into the group. I go deep into interviews with multiple coaches talking about neurotyping, talk about supplementation, mobility and recovery, workout nutrition. Um, Sam Miller, who you guys just heard on the podcast, he just did a private webinar that I'm going to be uploading soon, um, going in depth about hormones for them in the group. There's so much good information being put in there. You get my ebooks for free. So much good stuff. Um, speaking of ebook, we're about to launch a recipe guide, which will also be in the Boom Boom Elite. Guys, the Boom Boom Elite is full of crazy good content and daily training design. So you literally get your daily training done for you, cardio, strength, hypertrophy, fat loss, any goal. We have options for you in there, and it's literally being uploaded every week to make sure that you have exactly what you need to do. It is the best place to go. It's I can't. I speak so highly of it because I love it, man. It's it's seriously such a good. It's a good atmosphere and it's such a good setup. Um, it turned out way better than I thought. And the recipe guide is gonna be sick. I know I'm taking a second to uh, <laughs> rant on some things we're doing right now in the business, but it's just I'm so excited for this. Courtney, Coach Courtney, put this together and it, um, she actually reached out to different influencers that we are friends with um, to give us their recipe. I think we have. I know um, Don Saladino gave us a recipe and he's in the book. Jason Phillips, I think, is in the book. I think Cassidy Dickinson is in the book. Um, I believe she took my recipe, which I told her. I was like, I have the most plain Jane recipes, but here it is. This is my go-to favorite lunch, pre-workout, whatever it was. Um, so I gave her one of those. Obviously, Courtney has a bunch. We referenced a ton of really famous recipes in there, but we included the macros and gave them credit. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff. There's 101 macro-friendly recipes, and it's broken down into breakfast, lunch, snacks, and dinner. We're going to be selling this for super cheap, guys. It's going to be available really soon. We're going through the final edits of the book. And uh, like I said, though, if you're in the Boom Boom Elite, which you can find a, a link to in the show notes, you can get that book for free when it launches. We're going to give everybody in the Boom Boom Elite the book completely free. But um, – 101 recipes with macros included, which is the best part because you never have to guess if you're tracking macros again. So super excited about that, guys. It's going to be available soon. Stay tuned for that. Speaking of recipes and food and the Boom Boom Elite training, this question came up because I do a Q&A every week in there, right? So I go on Facebook Live in the group quite often. Um, usually it's random rants about mindset or it is um, – Whatever it may be, um, training, uh, the lesson of the day, positive focus. I usually have a topic that I'm going to cover um, about what I'm talking about. Uh, usually it's something I'm learning in my life, whether it's a business lesson, a life relationship, stress lesson, anything I can talk about and teach them in the group I go on. But I do Q&As as well. In this Q&A, one of the questions was inflammation. What's all the hype about? What foods are actually inflammatory? What do I need to watch out for? Is it something to worry about? Is everybody the same? Like, just just help me understand this because it's confusing. And I thought it was a great question because if we look at, like, I mean, going back to the question I just talked about with evidence-based, the hype around being an evidence-based coach versus using experience and intuition, like, the same exact hype is centered around inflammation, right? Everything is inflammatory. Dairy, gluten, eggs, Nuts! Don't eat any of this stuff. It's you'll you'll your throat will swell up, your joints will hurt. It's bad for you. Grains are the devil. Sugar is horrible. Alcohol will kill you. There's so many different things that are inflammatory. But 
the reality of this is, is inflammation is individual in so many ways, shapes, and forms. The reason I say that is because a good example, I have eczema. I've always had eczema as a kid. It is an a autoimmune inflammatory response to something I eat or stressor in my life. I get the autoimmune inflammatory response inside of my gut probably that creates a rash on the outside of my skin. That's inflammation, but it's individual to me. It happens to me, number one, when I'm in a highly stressed state, if I'm not getting sleep, if I'm, if I'm getting frequent anxiety, stuff like that, it happens, or if I eat oranges. I don't know why, but it's like oranges, mandarins, mangoes, pineapple, all the really good citrus-based fruits seem to trigger eczema for me, which sucks. And oranges are not a quote-unquote inflammatory food to most, right? I can eat grains all day. I can eat processed sugar. I don't feel good, but I can eat it and I don't get eczema. Drink a whole bottle of wine, I don't get eczema, right? So there's no – it's only those citrus-based fruits or stress, chronic stress, anxiety. That's an inflammatory response to my body, and that's why that's individual. It's individual because what creates that response is individual, and also how I respond to it is is individual, meaning eczema itself is an individual response. Oranges are an individual trigger. So for some people, that might be sugar and IBS. It might be grains and um, hives or stress or more anxiety or joint inflammation. There's so many different types of inflammation. We can't really say that it's one single thing. And I think that's the problem with most people is they say, oh, that's an inflammatory food. Okay. Well, to who? Right now there's obviously, there is some evidence to show that, you know, there's certain foods that are just inflammatory in general. There is certain foods that are going to be like dairy is a good example. Dairy is somewhat inflammatory to everybody um, because everybody is on a micro level lactose intolerant. And they do like there's studies that go both ways, but there is a lot of studies and, and evidence to prove and theories and concepts and experience that show everybody is a little bit lactose intolerant. Our bodies do not create the right enzymes to break down that type of uh, dairy, that type of lactose. We were born breastfeeding and consuming our own mammals' milk. It just that's just how it is. Over time, we started consuming other mammals' milk because we need to survive and we want nutrients and there's nutrients in cow's milk, right? But not everybody's body can respond well to that because there's an inflammatory response in pretty much all people. Now, some people, it's a micro level inflammatory response. You can drink gallon of milk and you're totally fine. Okay, maybe not gallon. That's excessive. But you can drink milk. You can have cheese. You can have whatever. And you're not going to have a crazy response. Whereas some people, their throat will swell up. They get crazy joint inflammation. They can't – you know, they get – diarrhea or constipation or whatever it may be, it creates IBS issues. There's a lot of things that can go on. And and the problem with that is those individuals have an individual response. It's a more extreme response than some, because again, it's individual. But the point is, no matter what, that is an individual response to inflammation. So what do you need to, to be concerned with? Well, you can do food sensitivity tests, but at the end of the day, like there's no point in going in depth. I mean, I shouldn't say there's no point. You don't need to go in depth. And actually, I don't think it's the most accurate way because there's a lot of tests out there. There's a lot of food sensitivity um, labs and, and tests and different things out there that are actually very misleading or can be easily skewed, meaning you take the test and then five minutes later, you take the test again and you get a completely different result. It's not, it's just not very accurate. So I don't recommend a ton of people do that. I recommend people do an elimination diet, simply remove foods from your, your diet. See if the inflammation stops, 
whatever that inflammation response is. The same thing when I had eczema, I had to remove a bunch of things out of my diet. It took a long time because the last thing I thought was oranges because oranges are not quote unquote normally inflammatory, but I had to eliminate things until I found the culprit. Once I found the culprit, I could enter everything else back in without worry because I found out what caused it. So if you have achy joints, let's start going down the chopping block. Are you consuming processed sugar? Because that's a big one for achy joints. Yes, you are. Okay, cool. Let's cut it out. Does it, did it fix it? Yes. Perfect. We know that it's processed sugar. Let's try to limit that. It didn't fix it. Okay, cool. What else are you consuming that could be quote unquote commonly inflammatory? Grains, cool, let's cut those out. Dairy, let's cut those out. Whatever it may be, and you just go down the chopping block, legumes, soy, it doesn't matter. There's a bunch of foods that can be possibly inflammatory, but they are possibly inflammatory based on what we've seen and experienced and with people, right? So going gluten-free, there's still not a ton of evidence to say that people are gluten intolerant, right? There's celiac, and then there's like gluten sensitivity, gluten intolerance, like there's these different things, and they're kind of on the fence. There's not a lot of studies to prove it, to be honest with you. There's obviously some stuff to back up celiac disease, but there's not a lot to prove um, gluten and sensitivities and stuff like that. But experience will show us that some people can't handle gluten because they have an inflammatory response in their gut. It's just simple. I'm not going to tell people you don't have to worry about it and wait for the evidence to come out 10 years later because if they do not feel good eating gluten or dairy or beans or whatever it may be, we're going to remove that because it's, it's an individual inflammatory response. So I think inflammation – like in, in this stem from her question of like her husband was trying to get enough protein. He's like 250 pounds and he's trying to eat you know, between 200 to 250 grams of protein and it's hard for him to do that through just meat or eggs or whatever it may be. So he wanted to incorporate Greek yogurt but they know that dairy is an inflammatory food so he was trying to avoid it. And the thing with that is, is dairy can be an inflammatory food, but is it inflammatory to you? Maybe not. I do great with dairy. I have cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, whatever all the time, and I have no, um, no issues at all because I don't get an inflammatory response to dairy. But I had to discover that on my own. So I think inflammation is a great topic to talk about because I think people need to the, – the biggest thing here to remember is like if you're not tracking your biofeedback, then you have no way of knowing what is creating inflammation in your body and what foods are going to create inflammation. So number one, what is the inflammatory response? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Is it joint pain? Is it eczema? Is it IBS? Is it constipation? Whatever it may be, you need to understand – are you having an inflammatory response? Nine times out of 10, when you have symptoms of anything, it's from some kind of inflammation. I want to say, and this is a completely percentage I'm completely pulling out of my ass. I don't know if this has any validity to it, but I know it's in this ballpark. I want to say like 90% of the diseases are, can be prevented through avoiding inflammation. Like inflammation starts like 90% of chronic pain in, in, in diseases. It's insane. So inflammation is a thing for sure. But you need to understand that and you need to understand if you're even having any inflammatory responses in your body. Is there anything going on that you can say is from inflammation or is inflammation in, a, in, a, in of itself? And at that point, then you have to look at your diet and go, okay, what is creating that inflammatory response? Because it's going to be individual for you. Once you figure out what – and you can link these things together. So if you know that your inflammatory response is stress or anxiety, you can look up like, okay, what typically causes 
that type of quote-unquote inflammatory response, right? If it's joint pain, there's certain things that are most likely going to cause that type of inflammation. But again, it's going to be different for every person because everybody's gut microbiome is different. Everybody's dietary history is different. Everybody's needs are different. But if you don't track what you're doing, if you're not tracking your diet, if you're not tracking your biofeedback, how you feel, when you have joint pain, you can't correlate anything together. Man, I have joint pain all the time. Okay, well, when does it usually hit you? I don't know. What are you usually eating? I don't know. Well, do you know what you ate before you had the inflammation? No, I have no idea. Okay, well, then there's no way in hell for us to really determine what the problem is here. So you got to, got to, got to go into that. And the last question I had, this is, again, it feels weird doing transitions right now because it's not a typical Q&A. But I'm going to transition now (laughs) into the cardio question. This one's going to be easy. The basic question was, you know, what kind of cardio, like, what should my weekly split look like with cardio? Four, two, five, two, three, three. Should I be doing two a days? And the truth is, is it doesn't matter. And it, it comes down to adherence, right? Like, if you can train six days a week, then maybe you do four days of cardio, or I'm sorry, four days of lifting, two days of cardio, if your goal is fat loss. If your goal is muscle gain, then maybe five days of lifting, one day of cardio, because you don't need as much cardio if you're trying to build muscle. I think cardio needs to be in your plan no matter what because it's good for heart health. It's good for health in general. Um, they have a lot, of, a lot of studies that show it improves recovery between sessions and reps. So if you're trying to build muscle and you're trying to do more volume, well, you only have so much time in the gym. So you can't just keep adding volume and volume and volume. You're going to break down and or you're going to be in the gym for three fucking hours a day. That doesn't work for most people. So what can you do to improve the density of your session? Meaning instead of training for two hours, can I fit all this volume into an hour and a half? Well, you better do some cardio on the side because it's going to improve your oxygen consumption capacity and you're going to be able to go longer under the bar, quicker between sets, um, less days between workouts, so on and so forth. You're going to recover faster. It improves recovery, period. So everybody should be doing cardio no matter what your goal is. Um, for fat loss, you're probably going to be on a 4-2 or a 3-3 three, three split. That's just the most common. I'm going to say for six days a week. I believe that I'm – a, I'm a big believer that everybody should be trying to train five or six days a week. And it doesn't need to be balls to the wall. It doesn't need to be long sessions. The point is is you need to make a habit out of active living and just having a fit lifestyle. Like I'm a huge believer in that. Um, I have a lot of clients who don't train six days a week because it's physically impossible for them to get to the gym six days a week. And I understand that. But we do something anyway. Go on a five-minute walk. Even five minutes. Move. Do mobility. Go do some stretching. Do 20 push-ups. Do 10 burpees. Let's do something to make you move because it's a mental thing. It's going to create a stronger mindset. And I do believe if you instill the habit of being fit and being active and being healthy, I think you're going to see more positive benefits. You're going to have more sustainable results in the long run. And I've just had way better results with people. I'll adjust to make shorter sessions to make sure that they're spread out throughout the week um, for a person because it creates that sustainable habit and it's easier to recover from. But in general, 4-2 strength to cardio or 3-3 strength to conditioning is going to be the best ratio. The more cardio you're doing in ratio to strength, the more you should vary your intensities. Um, And I think everybody should vary their intensities in general. But like for example, if you're doing five days of lifting, one day of cardio, I'm going to suggest that you do like a recovery-based cardio, very low-intensity aerobic-based because – It's going to improve your recovery because you're still working that energy system um, that is going to help your aerobic capacity, but it's not nearly as damaging on the central nervous system, and you're going to recover better so that you can keep working out and keep training because your main goal is to to lift and get bigger, um, get stronger. If you're doing 4-2, I would suggest doing like your four strength days are going to be 
a, a mix between like hypertrophy and strength. So it's not all very, very hard sympathetic driven sessions. You're going to have some pump days in there. And then your cardio is going to be a split as well. One anaerobic day, one aerobic day. Or one low, low intensity, one high intensity is basically what I'm saying. If you're doing three and three, I'm going to say your three strength days are going to be a blend of sympathetic and just a lower intensity, meaning you're going to do some heavy work at the beginning, be explosive, lift heavy, go low rep, and then you're going to bring the reps up and work hypertrophy towards the end of the session, and you're going to do that each day. And on those cardio days, you're going to do every energy system. So you want to do a low intensity day, a moderate intensity day, and a high intensity day. I don't recommend long distance running for the moderate intensity because it's just bad on your joints, in my opinion, over time. Your ankles and knees will just take a beating. But if you work all these energy systems, it's going to be harder for your body to adapt. It's going to be um, – which is good because if the more your body adapts, the less fat you're going to burn in cardio if you think about it. If you adapt, you're getting efficient. And if you get efficient, well, you're not going to have to utilize as much energy. And energy is calories. Calories is body fat. So we want to be somewhat inefficient when it comes to cardio. Um, and I like having a three – three a ratio of three different types of cardio maybe i'm doing an assault bike one day sled work one day um and then the rower one day and then the next week i switch it up and go sled rower assault bike kettlebell swings whatever it may be a circuit um or you can keep it the same like i have a lot of people that it's like one day of list walking uh, at a decent pace one day of rower for moderate intensity and then one day of assault bike for high intensity that's a great way to do it the intervals change every week you're periodizing it you're doing different modalities throughout the week it's going to take your body a long time to adapt you're going to improve um, on your recovery abilities but from a fat loss perspective you're going to be in much better uh, a much better case um, and you can handle more intensity because you're doing less strength throughout the week and then um, the last thing would be like she asked about five two so if we think about five two you'd have to be doing a two a day which is all dependent on the person i have clients that are doing you know six days a week of lifting where it's like a four two split and then we do have a couple like two to three extra days of low intensity cardio where they're waking up and doing fasted cardio in the morning it's not ideal for a lifestyle sustainably like long-term, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do those things in order to lose more fat, and that's just part of the journey. I'm doing morning fasted cardio almost every day. It's just part of it, right? We didn't do this the whole time prepping for this photo shoot, but towards the end, you know, we had to ramp things up because my body is more stubborn than most. It's just part of it. That's part of the journey. It's part of the process. You have to reverse out of it afterwards. It is what it is. So I think that like that's where you get into sticky grounds, and you got to be really careful. you got to think like, is this something I can adhere to even for the next three months because I don't want to get overly stressed and it to affect my relationship or my work or my sleep or anything like that. You got to take everything. And this is, again, going back to the very beginning of the podcast. Use the evidence, right? More calories burned through cardio is going to lead to more fat loss. Use your experience to create methods that allow that to happen. Maybe you do you do it like you got to do an extra 120 minutes per week. I don't care how you get that in. Right now, I can adjust it week to week to make sure I hit it. Instead of saying every single morning you have to do 23 minutes of fasted cardio on an incline hill, like that's stupid. Use different methods to apply the the science. So as far as cardio goes, everybody should be doing it. How you implement it depends on what your body can handle, how resilient your body is, um, how stubborn your body is. Like, are you 
are you a stubborn fat loss guy like like I am? Like it takes a lot to get your body really lean. Um, what is your lifestyle like? What's your schedule like? What can you recover from? How much strength training days are you doing? Because that's more important than cardio for the most part. You got to do some cardio, but lifting is always going to be the priority. Um, are you sufficiently supplying your body with enough fuel to support this stuff for a while, like to recover? There's so many factors that go into it. Um, again, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. I'm a biggest fan for fat loss, 4-2 split or 3-3 split. For muscle, um, I'm a biggest fan of a 4-2 split or a 3-3 split. Um, and for strength, I would say either works. Um, most likely 4-2 though because those are neuro neurologically demanding sessions um, because you're lifting in the heavy weight zone. So. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spend a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.